Today, we come to chapter 11 in Luke. And in this chapter, Jesus has recently sent out the 72 disciples. 36 groups have gone out into the cities around where he's at, the communities around he's at, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it has been a marvelous time of God working through man to reach man. Miracles have happened. People have been healed. Uh, People have been raised from the dead, the Bible says. Miracles have taken place. Demons have had to flee from them. And they come back rejoicing uh, in what's happened. And Jesus reminds them that even as they're rejoicing, not to simply rejoice that demons flee from them, but rejoice that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Only way to do that is to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior in your life. That's the only way that happens. It's for you to come to him and invite him into your life and you to do what these people did, testified to today, young and old, of asking Jesus to come into their life. It's shortly after this time that one of the disciples, they're with Jesus, and he's praying. Jesus had this you know, this continual habit, as you read through the, the Gospels, he was continually separating himself. He was continually going off someplace or taking a small group with him and going to pray. And this time he's with his disciples and he's praying. And they're observing this. They're seeing what's happening in his life while this is going on. And they, one of them gets a hunger to say, I need to learn how to do this. And he says to Jesus, uh, teach us how to pray. Jesus starts by repeating a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives six very clear petitions that we can use in our prayer time that we should, you know, we should pray through. In, in the book of Luke, he shares five of them. We've put in your notes both of those passages, and I would encourage you to look them up today and to read them. And as you build your prayer list, as you begin to make this appointment with God and you build your prayer list of things you want to pray for, to begin to overlay these petitions in your prayer. As you pray for a family members, you pray for circumstances, you pray for our country, to begin to lay, overlay these. These are right things for us to petition God for in the things that we are concerned about in our life. They will help direct our prayers. Jesus then tells them a story that speaks directly to their culture that we need to really capture today. He tells them, you're at home and it's midnight. In those days, it would usually be a a one-room home. It would only be really rich people that had more than that. And everyone would be sleeping kind of in the same bed. All the mom and dad and all the kids are kind of piled into one place. And to get up would disturb the whole house. And it's about midnight at night, he says, and you're home, you're in your bed with your family. It's about midnight at night, and suddenly there's a knock at the door. And it's a neighbor, it's a friend of yours that you know. And the neighbor says to you, say, what, what, what's going on? Leave, leave us alone. We're, we're trying to sleep. And he says, listen, an, uh, unexpectedly a friend has shown up at my house. 
And in those days, of course, there's no phones. There's no way for them to text him and tell him I'm coming. There's no way for them to know. There's no Facebook or social media outlets he, to let him know that he's coming. He's just shown up on his journey at his friend's house, and his friend has nothing to put before him, nothing to feed him, which would be the common courtesy for a friend who has traveled this distance and is wore out. Well, there are no all-night supermarkets to go to. Can't say, hey, give me 15 minutes, I'll be right back, I'll go buy something. There's no convenience stores around. There's no place to go except to your neighbor. And you go over to your neighbor because you've eaten, you've eaten your, your house empty. You go over to your neighbor and you ask them, to help you. So at midnight, all the family's asleep. You hear this knock on the door. You say, who is it? He say, hey, it's Joe. I have a friend show up. I don't have any food in the house. Can you give me some bread? He said, your answer is, go away, Joe. We're all in bed. We're all asleep. You're going to wake up the whole household. Uh, Leave me alone. Your friend's out of luck today. But in Luke chapter 11, he gives us one of these great, Jesus is giving us one of these great lessons of prayer. Because he says, to, says he says, now listen, even though you won't get up because he is your neighbor, even though you won't get up because he's your friend, even though you won't help him out of the kindness of your heart. Because, and different versions put the word different, differently, they all come to the same thing. Because of his boldness, because of his impudence, because of his persistence, you'll finally get up and give him what he wants just so he'll go away. Said so you'll finally answer that. Luke lays out this principle Several times in the book of Luke, Jesus compares a, a tired neighbor or, or later a wicked judge to say, if a man in his weakness will give in to your persistence, how much more will God in his love and mercy hear your cry and answer your request? He said, think about it. This great God of love and mercy, if you'll be bold, if you'll be persistent, if you won't give up, if you'll keep asking, God's going to answer. Have you given up on something? Jesus' message in this passage is don't give up. Keep asking. Jesus then goes on to say, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. He says, listen, you hear what I just said? He kept knocking, and he finally got what he wanted. This is what I'm saying to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, just ask for it. Now, this isn't an open checkbook, as we've talked before, that you get everything you want. All meaning of Scripture and what Scripture really means is revealed in other scriptures. So let's take a look at a few things. In James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, 
you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Motive weighs into the answer. What kind of motive I bring to asking God? What, what my real motive is and my desire is and what I really want to have happen here weighs in to whether I get the answer that I'm looking for. My motive has to be right. My desires have to be in the right place. I have to be in alignment with, with God to expect God to answer my prayer when I lift my voice to him. In 1 John 5, 14, it says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's will matters. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm happy for that. I can rest in that pretty easy. See, I've got this, I, I think one way, God thinks another way. I kind of have this you know, idea of looking out into the future, and I'm looking out into this darkness, and I'm painting the picture of, of what I think I want at that particular moment in time without knowing anything else. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows everything that's going to take place. He knows what's best for me. He can weigh all of these things out for me. And when I come to him and I say, God, not my will, thine be done. Here's what I want. I want your will to be done. I can rest in that because I know God loves me. I know God cares about me. I know God wants to do the best in my life. And so the right heart coming to God says, God, I trust you. I am thankful God has said no to some of my prayers. Anybody else? I mean, at the time, I thought they were right. At the time, I thought I had the right vision. At the time, I thought I had the right direction. As I got down the road a little bit farther, I discovered, ooh, that wouldn't have been so good. That would have been a mess if I'd have gotten that, if I'd have done that. Aren't you glad God will say no to us sometimes? So we come to him and we say, God, your will be done. We want your... Now, there are things I absolutely know are the will of God. It's God's will that all men be saved. So when I'm praying for an unsaved friend, for a person whose heart's cold and hard to God, I'm saying, God, convict them. Pour your spirit into their life. Send other believers into their life. Reveal yourself to them. I know I'm praying right in the middle of the will of God. And I know God's going to answer that prayer and bring conviction upon them. He's going to move in their life. There are some things, there's just no doubt, we're praying in the will of God and we keep asking for it, and there's other things we submit to his will. Here's the second, third thing you need to hear. 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Our position before God impacts our prayers. God is not under no obligation. He's not made any promise. He's not given any guarantee to the person living in rebellion to him that when he cries out to God or she cries out to God that he's going to answer. He's under no obligation to give us what we want 
to move in our life. He may by his grace do something. He may out of his foreknowledge and wisdom do something for us. He may answer that prayer because he knows we need that prayer to be answered for us to discover more about him. But he's under absolutely no obligation to meet the desires of my heart and to hear my prayer when I'm living in rebellion to him. And so one of the first things we do when we go to prayer is make sure our heart's right with God. I mean, you think about it. Your kids are in the car. Your, kids, your kid gets old enough to have a car. He's rebellious. His motive for getting the car is to run around with a bunch of his drug-addled friends who are rebellious to God as well. You don't even want him to run around with them, but he wants to get a car so he can go run around with all of his buddies and skip school whenever he wants to and mess up all the more. Is it smart to give that kid a car? I mean, you may, oh, I love him so much, I'm going to give him a car. Well, you're just dumb. You love him, but it's dumb love. It's just dumb love. I mean, is that clear enough? No, you don't, you don't empower his rebellion, do you? You say, look, you, know, you haven't earned this. You don't get this just because you're my kid. You get this because I decide to bless you. And that's what God does to us. On the other side, you've got this kid, and he, he, you have the ability. He asks you for a car. He has proven that he wants to please you. He's respectful, and he makes great decisions. He could use a car to get to school, and you don't have to take him every morning. He can use this car to get to youth group or maybe to a job, and you don't have to haul him around. He's not been in trouble. He has a friend that you have to pick up every week to take to church with you, and that takes you another 10 minutes, and now he can go do all that on his own. Get that kid a car. <laughs> Amen. I mean, he, he's earned, he, he's proven. I remember my dad, when he got my car, he said, listen, son, I'm getting you, you've been a good, I'm going to get you this car. But I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you mess up, that car will go away just as fast as it came. He told me once, if, you, if I ever hear you, sque- I think the way he put it, squealing the wheels of your car, that car will sit for a month. Now, I'm telling you, that was not a 28-day month. That was a 31-day month. That was a full month if I would do that. There was no hesitation. There was no mercy halfway through that was going to come. That car was going to sit. I knew better than to break that rule. We have to be wise, don't we? So we have this right to come before God, but that right to come before God and, and, and ask has to do with our motives, has to do with our position before God, has to do with how we're living our life and whether we're in rebellion before we have the right to come and say, God, your word promises. Your word promises. And God's sitting there going, I haven't promised you with that heart, with that attitude. I haven't promised you anything. I promised the righteous something. So we look and we check our heart. He then goes on to say to them, Seek and you will find. What are you really seeking today? What are you really pursuing? What's in your dream? What are you dreaming for your kids? What are you really pursuing for them? What do you really want them to have? What do you really want them to be? Is the highest dream on your dream list is, you know, that they play some sport successfully or that they're popular or they get a job where they make a lot of money? What's the highest dream? What's the highest dream in your own life? What's the thing you really want 
in your life? What are you really seeking? Here's what the promise is. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's talking about our physical needs and the things that we need in life. He says, look, if you'll, if you'll focus on discovering how to live in my kingdom, how to do what's right, if your goal will be to be a man of righteousness that is pleasing to me and knowing me. If you'll make that your goal, if you'll make it your goal for your sons, your daughters, your grandsons, your granddaughters, that they'll be great men and women of God, that they'll know the value of God, that they'll be great men and women of prayer, that you want them to be champions in pursuing the presence of God. You want them to be champions in walking in righteousness in a broken world. If that will be your dream for them, guess what? I'm going to take care of all the other stuff. I do for the birds of the air. Why wouldn't I do that for you? You don't have to worry about all that stuff. You just have to worry about pursuing my kingdom. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you pursuing in life? I want to skip down in your notes. This will be a little confusing. I'm going down to James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. He says, look, seek wisdom. Cry out for insight and understanding. Wisdom is how to act. God, teach me how to act. Teach me how to conduct myself in good times and in troubling times. Teach me how to raise my kids right. Teach me how to be right in my marriage. Teach me how to be the godly person, the person after your heart that you would have me to do. When, when in need of wisdom, it's in need of knowing what to do. So God says, come in prayer and ask for that in, in family decisions and directions. Don't assume that the answer is found in it's a higher salary. Don't assume that the answer is found in this oh, it's lower cost to me. That is seeking the wisdom of money, not the wisdom of God. Seek God's wisdom. Don't assume that the answer is because it's easier. The path of God may be harder. There may be sacrifice involved. But the blessing of God is also involved. Don't assume you can find the answers in the Decisions of money or the decisions of ease. That's seeking the flesh. You've got to set those things aside sometimes and say, God, what is your divine wisdom for me in this decision? What is your will? It may not make sense to the world, but God's in the middle of it and he will empower it. All right. I want to back up now, back to the other passage. Say, well, why are you skipping around? Well, the Lord told me to, so I'm doing this for him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God's presence is our biggest reward. I mean, weigh out your prayers. How how many times have you come to God and instead of bringing a bucket list of things you want to ask for, You've walked in the presence of God. You've walked in and closed the door behind you and said, God, I'm here just to pursue you. 
I want to know you. I want you to sweep over me. I want you to cleanse me. I want you to change my heart, transform my life. I want to walk in your presence. Many times we don't understand that because we have not examined who he is. We're going to do that next month. We're going to take the next five or six weeks after in October and early November and really look at who God is and what he offers to us. Men, can I challenge you today? I'm going to challenge you today. Guys, listen to me. Listen to this. Think about this. Do you really think that you're such a guy, you have so much power, you're so strong, that you can walk into the presence of God and not be changed? Do you think you've got it so together You're so smart, you're so wise, you're so filled with, you know, strength and courage and understanding that the presence of God wouldn't alter you in some way, transform you in some way. Again, I can't overstate this. There is life in the presence of God that transforms our very being. There is joy in the presence of God that overrides all of our circumstances. There is encouragement in the presence of God that gives us the, 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 the power to move on even when we seem overwhelmed. There is strength in the presence of God. There is fulfillment in the presence of God. If you feel a hole in your life, if you feel emptiness in your life, if you feel meaningless in your life, if you feel a sense of fear in your life, if you feel like life is just always kind of messed up, for instance, it's not a new job you need, it's not more money you need, it's not moving to another state that you need, you need the presence of God. You need God's spirit moving in your life. All we do when we do these things is we just take ourselves and our problem into a new scenery and it seems to answer it for about a day and a half and then we come up and go, I still feel the same way. Why? Because only God can fill that need in our life. He brings us life today and he comes to those who seek him. He says, if you seek me, you shall find me. So Jesus says, seek and you will find. God will reveal himself. God will move in your life. And if you're sitting there today going, you know, things are pretty good, Pastor. I don't need much. I'm telling you, you're missing this great experience with the presence of God that sweeps over you and changes you and rewrites your heart and reorders your thoughts and gives you new life in your spirit. You are missing the greatest deal ever offered to man, the presence of God. When we get to heaven, the great thing about heaven is not the golden streets. The great thing about heaven It's not simply the the fact of eternal life. The great thing about heaven is we'll be in the presence of God. And if you believe that, if you believe that, why not seek him now? The real blessing of prayer is not getting a new car or even getting direction. Now, I'm not saying you may not need, maybe you need a new car. Maybe you need direction. 
There's right places to ask for all of those things. We can bring our request to God. But friends, I'm telling you, if that's, if that's the farthest you're going in the pursuit of prayer, is asking for stuff and things and direction and deliverance, you're missing the greatest part of prayer, the opportunity to be in his presence. You want to seek him? I challenge you to seek him. I'm going to ask Dan and the worship teams to come up. I've got a lot more to say, but we're going to wrap this up today. I just want us to take a couple of minutes right now. I'm going to invite you to stand. Men, I want to challenge you today, not just to observe. I want to challenge you today to say, God, if you're there, I want to know you. If you're there, I want to experience you. And let's just take, I'm going to give us two or three, four minutes just to, just to seek God's presence today. Can we do that? Father, right now in Jesus' name, just let us set all the other stuff aside. We have a lot of requests. We have a lot of things we need. We have a lot of things we're fearful of, we're worried about. But today, Lord, I know that the answer of most of our needs is just in your presence. So we just take these couple of minutes and we seek you and we worship you. Let's worship him together today. I want to challenge you in your prayer time. You know, fill this out. Let us know what you're going to do. Make a commitment. But this week in your prayer time, uh, there's, there's no magical uh, number here. But it's, a, it's kind of a simple thing. If you just take just a third of that time, say, okay, I'm praying you know, for nine minutes, I'm going to take three of them, and I'm, I'm going to do nothing but just pursue the presence of God. Just invite Him into my life. Just invite Him, and I'm just going to honor who He is, respect who He is. I'm going to wait on His presence. Take some time and just pursue the presence of God in your life this week. He wants to have, He tells us, seek me, and you will find me what a promise for us he won't be far off he won't be some distant figure oh but his presence will be living in us now listen if you've never put asked christ into your life if your life is far from god others are going to be coming down here for prayer for other things but you uh, we're out of time today so you just come as well come on down and just just look for and say i want to make sure my heart's right with god They'll be happy to pray with you. They may, they may have you go over to the prayer room with them for a couple minutes and give you some things. But we want to make sure your heart's right with God. But if you have a great need for God, we're told, ask. Ask. And keep asking. So don't leave here today without asking. And we're told that there is power in agreement. These folks are going to agree with you. They're going to ask you. They've been praying this week and asking God to anoint them and asking God to direct them. They've been seeking God for, for you this week. Come down and let them pray for you. But whatever you do, make that appointment with God and keep it. Keep knocking. Don't give up. Amen? Come on down as we pray in Jesus' name.